Welcome to the QAV podcast. If you're brand new, I just want to introduce the podcast a little bit so you know what you're getting yourself into. If you've listened to the show before, feel free to just fast forward a minute or two. If you're brand new, here's the deal. Uh, my name's Cameron Riley. Tony Kynaston is an old friend of mine. He's a very successful share market investor. I'm talking very, very, very successful. He's been doing it 30 years. He's one of the best in the country in terms of a private investor. Very good uh, track record over 30 years. And what this podcast is about is Tony basically teaches me everything that he knows about investing in the stock market. And you get to listen. But if you're coming into this for the first time, you'll find that this episode, the current episodes, assume a certain level of prior knowledge. We assume that you know what we're talking about, his system, his methodology, which we explain in earlier episodes. So feel free to listen if you want to get the vibe for what's going on, but some of it's not going to make much sense unless you understand what the checklist is, etc. I recommend if you're brand new, you go back and listen to uh, Season 3, Episode 1, Episode 3 and Episode 5, where we go into Tony's background and his system and his methodology in a lot more detail. And then feel free to listen to the contemporary episodes, the current episodes, you'll understand more of the context of what we're talking about. With that, let's get into today's show. Come stai, mi amici? <laughs> Molto bene, e tu? Non c'è male, non c'è male. Adesso 50 anni? 50 anni hai. 50 anni hai. Yeah. Wow. Your Italian's impressive for somebody who did it in high school. Oh, it's pretty basic. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, no. Palo italiano a piccolo, yeah. non molto. Un po', un po' italiano. <laughs> well, you should uh, pick up uh, Duolingo, man, and then when we get back to Italy in 2035, uh, we can uh, all speak it fluently. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. Great. That'd be good. Be good to go back. Looking forward to that. <laughs> yeah, have you seen... You seen their COVID numbers lately? <laughs> oh, I haven't actually. Are they back up? Are they? Oh yeah, Europe's going through a bad second wave, uh, like the UK. Um, really bad. Yeah, the numbers. Italy's new case, daily new cases, are back to where they were, sort of in April. The deaths aren't uh. as high yet. Hopefully, won't stay as high. Hopefully it's younger people getting it now, I'm guessing, and uh, so the death toll may not be as bad, but still, there's no way uh, ScoMo's going to let us go there for a long time till we have a <laughs> vaccine or something in place, so there you go. Tony, uh, let's talk about the stock market. Uh, it's been an interesting week in the stock market, a good, good week for the ASX last week. Yes, it's gone up. It's great. Yeah. It's, <laughs> I've had a good week too. Some happy with that. Some things have gone up. Uh the number one stock on your buy list today that you sent me, King Rose Mining, mm -hmm. uh, has not gone up, despite the fact that I bought it a month ago, which is normally Oh, did you? Yeah, it's normally a you know, a top sign that things are gonna go up. It's down twenty seven percent since I bought it on the ninth of September, so not very happy about that, but you still think it's a good one. A good one. Goodbye. 
Yeah, well, it's uh, 3.4 cents today. What'd you buy it for? Four cents? For, st- for stupid reasons. Um, 4.1 no, <laughs> cents it was when I bought okay. it. Yeah. What's a cent between friends? Exactly. <laughs> Except when it's 25% <laughs> of its uh, share price. Oh, I'm hanging in there. It's very close to my three-point sell line, but uh, yep. it's hovering 0.1 cents okay. away from my three-point sell line, I think. Maybe a couple of cents. A couple of points yeah. of right now. I think I, I think I looked at it last week. It's about, point th- it's about three cents, isn't it? I've got it at three cents, yeah. Mm. And, and Google Finance has told me a couple of times in the last week that it's hit three cents. In fact, right now right. it tells me it is three cents. In my uh, spreadsheet, but um, when I look on my stocks app, it says 0.34, so or 3.4 cents. Yeah. Anywho. Yeah, I've got 3.4. You um you had a good event. There was a, a split or a merger or something. What 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 was that thing that happened last week for you? Yeah, Asar and yeah. So two two of the stocks that uh, I've owned for for quite a while now, based on their QAV scores. Uh, Northern Star and uh, Saracen Minerals launched the merger and they both jumped 10% on the day on Monday. So that was great. And they're still going up. And the other good thing is when the merger goes through, probably in about January or February, is they will be big enough, I think, to fit in the ASX top 20, which means the index funds will have to buy them. Yeah. Get another bump. Yeah. Yeah. Nice, nice one. So, yeah, you, you, so happy you, days. You picked that years ago. Yeah, they've both done well, particularly uh, Northern Star. So it's kind of analogous to what we've been saying all the way through, like Fortescue Metals was um, a similar sort of buy. The iron ore price was down and then started to recover and shut up. Gold was like this, yeah, four or five years ago. And... Uh, Northern Star in particular scored really well, both in terms of price to operating cash flow and, and its uh, quality score. And uh, yeah, it's up about five times since I bought it. That's doing well. Mm. At the uh, bottom of the COVID cough, I see Northern Star was about $10 and it's now $16. Yeah, well, that was the, I mean, two nice things happened around them. They raised some more money and they. Um, I don't think it was because of COVID. It was a bit before that, I think, from memory anyway. But they raised money at about $9 a share. So that allowed me to get some more. Uh, so that's done well. But they didn't ever breach their long-term trend line, sell line, during the COVID cop. So I was able to keep holding them, even though they both came off a lot. And I think Saracen came off the most, something like about $4 something down to two fifty but still didn't breach its long-term sell line. So I was able to hold them even through the COVID cough, and now they've recovered in spades. Looks like it would have been close to breaching back then. Yeah, close, but didn't breach. Very close, but didn't. Oh, that's great. Well, congratulations. Yeah, thank you. The only reason I'm raising it is just to, to give people an example of how we can hold stocks for long term and after they've left our buy list and they can still keep going up. Um, Qantas was one of those, Fortescue was one of those, and these ones I've, I've had even longer. Mm. I, was, mm. uh, I did a blog post today just pro- promoting an article on Tobias Carlyle that I read this morning 
in the Indian Times for some reason, and uh, they mentioned a Google talk that he did about six years ago, which I hadn't seen, and I dug that up and had a look at it. But uh, in their uh, summary of his investing uh, wisdom, they talked about, you know, the two key points were only buy something when it's below its intrinsic value and only, and then sell it when it goes above its intrinsic value. I was like, well, I don't think Tony <laughs> would agree with that. Yeah, I mean, I know you and Tobias agree on a lot of things, but um, here's an example of where you uh, just keep holding, huh? Correct. Yeah. I don't think Buffett would agree with that either necessarily. He, he buys it. Uh, a margin of safety below the intrinsic value, but he keeps holding them as well. Yeah. Well, we I know we, we got into this a little bit when Tobias was on the show back in July, but uh, I did like this one point from the article on him. Uh, he has seven principles of deep value investing, and one was follow simple, concrete rules to avoid errors. Mm-hmm. And that's what we try and do uh, with QAV. Stick to the rules. Amen. Yes. <laughs> And take the emotion out of things as well. Yes. You know, I was thinking about, thinking about that again today, that uh, looking back at those share graphs for Northern Star and Saracen, I mean, like, it could easily have, have lost my nerve and sold them if I didn't have that, the, the QIV process around it, the system around it. Mm. And likewise, I remember us talking at the time of, in March of, of the COVID cough when we started selling things and going to cash and... Uh, and then we bought um, other things and sometimes the same thing back quickly mm-hmm. in, uh, in April after mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember, you know, just saying, well, that's the process. I, you know, I can't explain it. I can't predict what's going to happen. But the process says we buy now and we did. And I think most of those shares have done well. Mm. Speaking of things that are going up high, I jumped out of a plane on Saturday and yes. um, apparently survived because I'm here. Happy birthday. Oh, thank you. And thank you for the box of cigars you sent me. You're the only person beside my wife who sent me a gift, and I appreciate it. <laughs> well, well, you're welcome. No problems. And uh, I'm sure the rest are in the mail. I'm just, uh, I don't want to, you know, rub it into our audience, but uh, Tony's the only person uh, outside of my wife who sent me a gift. The only one, everybody. Turned 50, and uh, Tony's the only one. I, do, I, I can't finish saying that now. Um, <laughs> I uh, highly recommend it, Tony. If you haven't done, you ever jumped out of a plane before? I think we talked about this last no. week. You haven't, no. Yeah, no, I haven't, and I don't really want to either. I highly recommend it. Uh, just make sure you add me to your will before you do it, and then jump. It's great. <laughs> and here's and here's the thing. I mean, the, the I won't go on and on about it, but uh, you know, the fall itself is fantastic. The free fall and then the parachute ride is fantastic. But I tell you, the the best thing about it is having to push yourself through that very real fear that this is really crazy and you shouldn't be doing Mm. this, particularly when you get to the point where you have to dangle your legs out the open door of a plane at 14,000 feet. Every nerve, if you're anything like me, and I have a fear of heights, which I didn't have up until about five years ago. I don't know why all of a sudden I developed a fear of heights late in life. In middle my middle ages, hopefully, um, but I did like even going up, taking Fox up in a Ferris wheel six months ago. I found terrifying. I had to talk myself through it. You know, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. 
um, same sort of thing, but obviously much worse jumping out of a plane. But it's great. It's, it's fantastic to have to push yourself through that, feel the fear and do it anyway. Like that whole process of, I think, I, I think apart from maybe going into battle, jumping out of a plane at that height is probably one of the scariest things that you can force yourself through. It's probably up there with bungee jumping, I guess, which is also terrifying, um, that kind of thing. So, yeah. Is that for your 60th birthday, a bungee jump? <laughs> Hopefully I'll do it well before that. I think now that I'm 50, it's time to start checking off everything on my bucket list as quickly as possible. I don't know how many years I've got left to check stuff off. And bungee jumping's on your bucket list. Absolutely. Oh, really? yeah, totally. Oh. I want to, I got to get my scuba license. I've been done a few scuba dives, but I got to get my scuba certificate. Certificate. Got to get my skydiving certificate. Um, learn to speak at least one or two languages. You know, got to cram it all in over the next ten years, just in case. You never know. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's good. My bucket list was was golf courses and to go to the Berkshire Hathaway AGM. So you've done all of that. Yeah. What now? Done that. Yep. And I'm need, not jumping out of a plane, that's for sure. <laughs> you, need, you need a new bucket list. Yeah, I do. Yep. All right. Well, take us through it. So you're at 14,000 feet. There's a guy behind you. Does he push you out of the plane? Well, yes, uh, I, I guess technically speaking. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah, he's strapped in a harness to you. He's got the parachute. And yep. uh, he goes, all right, shuffle up to the door, legs out, uh, cr cross your arms over your chest. Uh, tilt your head back, and then uh, he pushes himself out, I guess, and you just happen to be strapped to him <laughs> when you go out. So then you fall uh, straight out, uh, free fall, somewhere between 40 seconds and 60 seconds. For me, it was about 46 seconds of free fall. Not really free fall. There's a little shoot called a drogue that goes up that slows you down a little bit, uh, according to Ian Kath. Uh, who's a former instructor, it slows you down from about 300 kilometres an hour to 200 kilometres an hour. Um, but it's still, it's like being in a wind tunnel. Like, the, the, it's, it's cold, the wind is just slamming into your face, um, but it's, and it's exhilarating as all hell. You're just plummeting down, and then after the free fall, he pulls the chute, and then it becomes silent. And he taught me how to use the chute, and you, you know swing down over a minute or two until you hit the ground so a lot of uh a lot of uh build up for like a three minute experience <laughs> but <Wow. laughs> but it's fantastic like it's it's yeah fantastic i, I can can't recommend it highly enough the great one of the greatest things i've ever done in my life and uh i'm grateful that chrissy organized it for me it was the perfect thing to do on my 50. yeah well done how was your weekend? And free fall? Is, is it oh. like falling or is, it, is, is free fall like falling or do you, you just have a sensation of floating? Uh, it feels like flying, actually. Uh, you yeah, feel, okay. feel like you're Superman. You just, um, you don't have really, I, I didn't anyway, the perception of falling. You're just in the air. There's a hell of a lot yeah. of wind blowing around you and um, clouds and you can see for miles and miles and there was a cameraman a guy with a camera strapped to his helmet right in front of me brazilian guy uh with a big grin giving me the thumbs up uh he was getting it all on video um and basically i was mostly concerned with looking cool 
uh, for the camera and not looking scared, <laughs> trying to think of what's a good pose for a photo that can go up on my wall later. <laughs> when does the video come out? Oh, it's uh, I've got it. I've I put it up on YouTube and showed my kids and my family, but I didn't okay. post it publicly anywhere, but I can send you a link if you want. Yeah, cool. All right. How was your weekend? What happened? Uh, yeah, really good. Um, we had a horse run at uh, Caulfield, ran third, but very credible performance. Oh, that sounds good. That was, um, yeah, Bella Nipatina. So she'll run during the spring carnival again, so either Cox Plate Day or on the, what's it called, um, Oaks Day, Thursday after Melbourne Cup Day. Um, When's that? Which, yeah, like she ran November? really well. Yeah, first week in November. Or Cox Plate Days, the Saturday before, uh, uh, Saturday, second last Saturday in October. Um, right. Yeah, no, she ran well. We have a friend, we have friends who own a horse in Sydney called She's Ideal, and that won a race on Saturday wow. at Ramwick, so that was very exciting for them. Yeah. So we kind of got, we actually didn't go, but we got caught up on all the messaging afterwards, which was good fun. The messaging? So, yeah, lots of text messages flying around, which oh, was good fun. Oh, okay, right. Mm-hmm. Congratulations and phone calls talking talking through the race and what happens next and all that. So it's good. Yeah. Mm, mm. Yeah, lovely. The that was the highlight. Oh, that's great. I had a good bottle of scotch, too, for my birthday that Chrissy got me. Uh, not a single malt, as it turns out, I didn't realise until I had uh, – I actually read the label. But um, what's it called? Can't even remember what it's called now. Um, let me see. Hedonism. Oh, yeah, that's it. Hedonism. Yeah. You ever seen that before? No, I haven't. Well, I've seen hedonism before, but I haven't seen the scotch. <laughs> no, I bet you have, Tony. <laughs> you want to tell us more about that? <laughs> Anyhow, back to the stock market. These are, these are the parties that rich people in Sydney get invited to. It's like eyes wide shut. You're walking around. Crazy stuff going on. Everyone's got masks. I can't wait to get invited to those parties. Um, yes, a somewhat, here's the description, a somewhat unusual blend in the world of Scotch whiskey. Compass Boxes Hedonism is made from a combination of 8 to 15 casks of grain whiskies from some of the oldest continuously operating distilleries in Scotland. Most of these whiskies have been aged in first Phil American oak casks, yielding a very special flavour profile that is full and round and richly textured notes of vanilla and toffee. So uh, I liked it. Very nice. Very, went well sounds with nice. the, the like cigar. A, sounds like a Speyside. That uh, sort of honey, yeah. vanilla-y. Yes, yeah. yes. Which I don't okay. normally drink. I'm normally drinking more of your Isla sort of uh, seaweed-flavoured single malts. But this, so this is nice for a change. Very delicious. Yeah. Nothing wrong with a good blend. Someone sent me an article. A friend of mine from Canada sent me an article about Isla. They've um they've been quarantined for six months. Yeah. And what's the big? Is it uh, Lafrogue? I think is on Isla. Anyway, one of the um one of the the peaty, smoky, famous Scotch whiskey distilleries reckons they have had to tank. They had to get rid of a million liters of their Scotch because they couldn't sell it, couldn't transport it, couldn't um. Have people come to the island and taste it? Couldn't get it to the bottling plants on the mainland. So a million liters of scotch has just uh, been no, thrown down the drain. Oh, they wouldn't do that! Come on, yeah. that's crazy. Well, they've, been t- 
they've been swimming in it. They, they, <laughs> <laughs> the people of Isla are quite tipsy, but no, they have to get rid of a lot. <laughs> oh, my God, that's heartbreaking. Isn't it? Oh. Anyway, let's get mm. on with some questions. Our mate Paul, yeah. uh, lawyer Paul in Sydney, he says, uh, he asks, is TK ever alarmed about director ownership that is extremely high, like over... 50% of stock on issue. It always makes me curious as to why the stock is listed in these cases and whether the business is being run for all stockholders or just the large owner. Has Tony ever noticed any performance difficulties in this area? Now, no one's ever accused you of having performance difficulties, I think. <laughs> Tony, but what do you think about uh, stockholders, uh, direct ownership? Oh, I think it's you know, usually a good thing, um, especially if they're you know the founders. The whole heap of reasons why that can occur. Uh, sometimes, uh, well, if they float a company, that allows them to to issue more shares and raise capital. So, even if they have the, even I'm, I'm assuming there's two owners that Paul's talking about, but could be three, could be four. But if they float, it's a way of issuing more shares down the track and raising more capital. And then it's up to them whether they want to, you know, participate or not. Um, so oftentimes the, the kind of really high ownerships like Paul's thinking about can occur, uh, well, well, I say recent floats, but they could, they could be sitting there for five, even 10 years before they, um, they change their ownership structure. So number one, it allows them to issue more shares and raise capital for the company, uh, which may dilute their shareholdings again. Number two, it could be a, a, an exit strategy for an owner or one of the owners. Uh, and something to pay attention to is whether they have uh, an escrow provision on their ownership. So if, if I'm talking about something which has floated recently, they might, they might, uh, the owners might not be able to sell their shares for 12 months, um, which is usual. And sometimes, uh, if the shares have gone up a lot in that first 12 months, you might find that the owners start to sell down and take some money off the table when they come out of escrow. So that's. That's something to watch. It, uh, it may turn the share price down for a while, but uh, that might be a buying opportunity. Uh, what else? I've been involved. I think one of the things to be aware of with shares which are illiquid, because there's there's a, a small group of owners who own the majority of shares, is that that can leverage the share price and, and both up and down. But if it's a good company, particularly up. So it's almost like uh, you know a lot of water trying to go through a small small hole it'll it'll gush through so under pressure so the uh i, I was involved with a company I, I i'm racking my brains trying to think of it and i can't it was just after i got involved in share investing so decades ago and i'm pretty sure kerry packer was one of the the big owners of the company and it used to jump it used to like it go up 20 percent in a day and then sit quietly for another three or four months and go up another 20 percent quickly because the owners weren't buying or selling, and there wasn't much free float, which meant, uh, you know, if another institution came along and bought into it, they would drive the, the price up dramatically because there wasn't that much free float. So that's another thing to watch out for, um, is if you like the company and, and you've got some passive shareholders, it can, the price can jump um, quite quickly. And then probably the, the last thing to say is that... Uh, if the company's big enough, like an ASX 20 or 50 or 100, 200 company, when the owners, they can often be uh, barred from the index because 
uh, Standard and Poor's won't put them in the index uh, because there's not enough free float. That's one of the qualifying rules. Uh, but if the owners do ever sell down, that, that can uh, free up shares and, and, again, catapult them because uh, they now appear in an index and the index funds have to buy them. So uh, I think there's, in my opinion, there's more more good things that can happen from um, high, highly concentrated ownership than bad things. Hmm. Good. Well, there you go, Paul. Hope that answers your question. Uh, and look forward to seeing you and your lovely wife at our next dinner down there, which could be soon, the way things are going. Uh, the borders open up. Might come back down. Yeah? What do you think? Yeah, just after the Queensland election, it looks like, so hopefully. Yeah. November. Another one in November. Let's plan for that. That'll be fun. Yeah. Uh, um. Okay, uh, here we go. Chris asks, I had a few questions I hope can be covered in the next podcast. Does Tony manage his investments in two separate portfolios, one via his self-managed super fund and one outside super? If so, I'd be interested in how he manages the two portfolios in terms of stock allocations and portfolio size. This is an issue I am trying to manage. Yes, I, well, yes, I do. So I have my shares are in, in three separate accounts. I mean, we probably have some other accounts from time to time we've used, but the three main ones are a personal name, a self-managed super fund, and our family trust. And uh, they're all sort of, I guess, you know, historically there for different reasons. Started off in our personal names and then went to uh, one personal name and then family trust um, came about because uh, we had a, some investment properties that we put into a family trust. Uh, which just had some tax benefits associated with them, but we've sold those over time and then they have some shares and then our self-managed super fund. Uh, in terms of how do I allocate the shares between them, uh, I treat them all as if they're in one big fund. So mm. try and keep it to 20 stocks overall, which may mean that there is you know, only a handful in the super fund and a handful in the family trust and I think I think most of them. When I say most, maybe sixty percent are in personal names. Uh, the other, the only other thing I can say about it is that I try and keep. If I'm buying a share and it pays a good dividend, my preference is to put it in a personal name so that you know we can use the we can use the um, dividends to pay down the mortgage that we have, uh, which helps us gear into the share market. And if they're in the self-managed super fund, we can't get those dividends out because mm. um, we're not at retirement age yet. So that's probably the only other other way I would skew things. But no, if if uh, if I if I'm ready to buy a stock, I'll look around and see where the cash is, and sometimes I'll just buy it a third of well, not necessarily a third, a third, a third, but in all three funds at the same time. Uh, but it really does just depends where they all sit individually. Hmm. Okay. Thanks. Uh, there's a second part to Chris's question. He says, I use a broker for my super fund. The broker charges a lower commission on trades than their standard fee, but then also charges a monthly advisor fee and reporting platform fee. What fee structure does Tony have with his stockbroker? I've just moved my non-super stocks to ShareSite, which is a great platform, and I'm thinking of moving my super portfolio across as well. For managing the portfolio and reporting on performance, the reports are better than I get from the broker as well. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we've just started using ShareSite in the last six months or so, mainly for the reporting as well, uh, which we spoke about last week. 
Um, up until then, I was using Excel spreadsheets, uh, which I, I still recommend because they're the most flexible and the easiest to um, to dump data out of when you need to do tax returns and things like that or do some special analysis. But obviously, you have to create your own reports and, and share sites. Good at reports, so that's easier to do. Uh, and it's also like a backup for me of, of all our data. It's in ShareSite now as well. Um, my broker does have a platform, and so I can get um, reports and data off of values, which is which is also useful, and particularly useful to keep the history of all the share trades there. So I can, um, I think I can pretty readily at least get the last three years of trades and and payment data off their their website pretty easily. Uh, I don't pay any particular special fees for that. I guess it's all covered in the brokerage. And uh, I don't pay for advice. And so just one observation is you are you are able to use a broker without advice. So if, if your broker, Chris, does separate things and charge fees for it, you might decide not to take advice and not pay for it. And you should still be able to use their platform and brokerage. All right. Thanks for the questions, Chris. Uh, now we get to Mark. Mark says, I've got to call bullshit, or at least query the learned gentleman on Tony's blog post that CRN looks more like a Schrodinger and therefore a falling knife. Sure, the current price is below the sell three-point trend line, but the sell three-point trend line's two data points are two consecutive months. How is that a trend? I didn't drink for the whole month of July. Doesn't mean I'm not a drunk. <laughs> Three-point trend lines aside, the pick below, he's got a, a graph he sent us here, shows trading volumes. For CRN, the August trading volume sell was around four times monthly average, followed by September trading volume buy around six times monthly average trading volume. The October sell-off volume Linearly extrapolated for the month is probably around twice monthly average trading average trading volume. Profit taking swill, Paul Keating might call them. <laughs> There's a good title for the episode. But is it wise <laughs> to follow this meager crowd and sell? My question then is when three point trend line data points are thin on the ground or Schrodinger's are in the air, is it worth considering trading volumes in order to make a rational decision? Good question, Mr. Yeah, good question. Uh, Chris? Profit-taking swill? No, is it Chris? It's Mark. Who's this one from? From Mark, sorry. Sorry, Mark. Chris was the last question. Yeah. Uh, I don't take trading volumes into account. Uh, it's, it's possibly something that I could look at. Uh, but I mean, remember what we're trying to do here is combine wisdom of the crowds with our own analysis. So I'm still calling Coronado as a, as a three-point sell, and it's gone down from when this email question was raised so potentially it is a, it's you know going to continue to be a sell and it does look like a falling knife i mean talking i mean uh, mark's mark's statement at the start that two points don't make a trend is i can have some sympathy with that and i think i remember when i wrote the the stock journal i said some people may want to hold on and get a another month into that trend and, and decide what to do but um you know, it was enough for me to, to call it as a schrodinger and a sell but in terms of the trend, I mean, if you look at the graph, it's it's high on the left and low on the right, so it's it's definitely falling. Um, we, you know, we're trying to pick the the time when it breaks out and starts to rise again, which it looked like it did last month, 
um, but it's since again turned down. So I'm still calling it as a as a falling knife. For the benefit, and I don't of... worry about that. Sorry, no, I don't no. worry about the trading volumes. The trading volumes are indicative of where the share price is going. Mm. Um, so we're looking. At, so the, the, I guess we are kind of taking trading volumes into account because we're looking at the share graph, mm. and that's going to be pushed around by trading volumes. But um, but no, I remain um, in the camp that it's a falling knife. For the people at home that don't have the graph in front of them, I want to remind everybody that Coronado only floated locally on uh, about two years ago, October, end of October 2018. So looking at a five-year monthly, it's only got two years of prices, and it's pretty much been all the way down since then. It did go up a little bit. Sort of peaked in June 2019 and has been in a relatively steady decline since then, well over a year. Yeah, and I think um, the other interesting thing is I think Coronado may have a lot of um, coking coal in, in what it mines and exports. I'm, I'm going by memory here. And I struggled to find a coking coal five-year monthly graph. So if someone can find one, that would be useful. Because uh, oftentimes when these things are in the downtrend, it's because the underlying commodity is as well. And certainly thermal coal looks like the Coronado coal graph, so maybe there's a lot of thermal coal in what they mine in the States in there as well. Uh, I know that uh, Steve Mab emailed me and said that or, uh, that the, the, he thought coking coal was going to do okay because you know, as we come out of COVID, and particularly in China, they're making a lot more steel for infrastructure. And I have some sympathy, but I, I couldn't do the analysis to see where the coking coal graph was going. Mm. Now, we have had Coronado in the dummy portfolio on two separate occasions over the last 18 months. Do you want to take a guess at what price we originally bought them at? Ooh, uh, I'd say a couple of bucks, probably. $3.17. There you go. Currently trading below 90 cents. <laughs> and it's always been a good score on the QAV system. So, yeah, you know, to me, that. That just highlights how important the three-point trend lines are and all that. Second time we bought them. So the first time we bought them was August 2019 at $3.17. We sold them a couple of weeks later at $2.63 when they breached. We bought them again in the middle of April at $1.41 and sold them a couple of weeks later when they breached at $1.16. And uh, on the 17th of September, you told me that you'd added them to the buy list again. Yeah, so it's it's um it's a bit like Apollo Tourism and Leisure, isn't it? They score the companies score well on the checklist, but sentiments did set against them. Um, and you know it's a good example of I think how the three point trend line works. I mean, if we bought them, would you say three seventy? Seventeen, yeah, three seventeen, and they're at eighty eight cents today. I'm assuming they don't go back up. They might. Uh, we would have lost, you know, two thirds of our capital, as opposed to a couple of ins and outs where we've lost maybe thirty or forty percent of our capital. So, mm. um, yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a it, for me, it's a fail safe that we can get in and out when things are going against us, even though they score well. Well, that's the end of the free episode for this week. For the brand new folks, I want you to know that each week we have a free episode and a premium episode. Free episode runs about half an hour. Premium episode usually runs for an extra half hour to an hour, depending on how many questions we have from our audience that week, because we spend a lot of that time answering questions. 
if you want to check out the premium episodes, you can go up to our website, qavpodcast.com.au, and sign up for the two-week free trial. You get to have a look at the premium episodes. You get to have a look at the checklist, the getting started guide, all of the video content that we have. Uh, you get invited to our VIP dinners and our VIP Zoom calls for club members. You get to ask Tony questions that we can answer. You get to get invited to our uh, Facebook group, our private Facebook group, etc., etc. So, and also we get a, a private uh, club member newsletter each week we send out as well with some stuff in it. So check that out, qavpodcast.com.au. But as I said, if you're brand new and you want to, you're trying to figure out what's going on, Go back and listen to Season 3, Episodes 1, 3, and 5, 301, 303, and 305. And then you might also want to go back and listen to Season 1 as well, all of the free episodes in Season 1, where we go into a lot of detail about Tony's system and methodology and figure out if this is right for you, if it's something that you want to go further with, if you want to learn how to invest like Tony does, then you can check out the uh, QAV Club. Uh, The other thing I always have to say is we're not financial advisors, so don't take anything you hear on this as financial advice. This is just here to teach how one guy invests and thinks about investing. If you need financial advice or tax advice, please go see a financial advisor or tax advisor. Uh, With that, stay safe, good luck with your investing, and we'll be back next week.